Open your Bibles, if you will, to Psalm chapter 3, or Psalm 3, and let me read you Psalm 3 in its entirety, all eight verses of Psalm 3. You follow as I read. O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, There is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God that endures forever. One of the reasons that I chose Psalm 3 to include it in this uh, study of the book of Psalms out of the 150 that are, that are available was because of the title of the psalm. I, I don't know whether you saw it, but let me explain this. I think you probably understand it, but uh, if you've got words in your Bible like, like mine does um, in bold black print above Psalm 3 that says, Save me, O God. It, uh, yours might say different words, but... That, ladies and gentlemen, has been placed there by the publishers of your Bible. It might be Zondervan, it might be somebody else who put that in there, but that's just to help you as, as a, uh, a tag, a, I don't know, a um, something that you can hold on to with the psalm. But right below that, those black words, are some other words that are all caps, and it's right above verse 1. And um, those words are not put in there by your publisher. Those words are put are, are in the Hebrew text. They read like this. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Those words, ladies and gentlemen, are found in the Hebrew text along with the rest of the psalm. Uh, those others aren't, but those are. And uh, uh, that really was the thing that want, uh, drew me to this psalm because what it does is it locates for us the, the exact historical moment at which David wrote this psalm. Uh, now, that's a fairly rare thing in the book of Psalms. Uh, there's about nine or ten times, nine or ten of the psalms, where you get that kind of historical note that helps you understand what was the setting out of which this psalm grew. Um, because of that information, because of the specificity that it, it provides, it helps us in understanding the psalm and interpreting the psalm. Now, the event out of which this psalm grew is recorded for you in 2 Samuel chapter 15. An event in David's life, and boy, it was it ever a doozy. Actually, this particular event is just the tail end of a series of events that occurred as a result of David's affair with Bathsheba. Now, I think you probably have heard that story before. If you were raised in the church at all, you know of David having an affair with Bathsheba. Uh, after that, after discovered um, by Nathan the prophet, 
the, um, the consequences of David's sin are just, <laughs> I mean, it's just almost too many to, uh, to list. In essence, David's family pretty much comes unglued. You recall that Bathsheba has the baby, the baby dies. Then after that, the next chapter tells the story about one of David's sons, whose name was Amnon, sexually assaults his half-sister, Tamar. As a result of that, Absalom, Tamar's whole brother, David's son, murders Amnon, his half-brother. Absalom is then sent into exile. He is out there for four or five years or so and then is finally called back from his exile into Jerusalem. And when he gets back in Jerusalem, he begins to plot an overthrow of his own father. He succeeds in that overthrow and and his army chases David and his supporters out of town. This psalm is written at that moment. When David's son Absalom and his army is chasing his father. The um, times have never been worse for David. Even when he was being chased around by um, by Saul before David became king. Did you notice in the psalm, uh, he mentions the word many three times in the first two verses. Many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are, many are saying about my soul. David is very aware that his situation is dire. And he describes the many enemies that he's gotten and that they're all around him and they're, and they're saying terrible things about him. This was a, um, needless to say, quite a bad time for David. And I dare say that the, maybe the worst part of it is that David realizes and knows that this situation that I'm in was brought on by my own sin. I did this. Guys, not all of our problems are the result of our sin, but some of them are. And this was the result of David's sin. Our situations seem to get worse when we, when we recognize that the reason that I'm in this mess is because of my sin, my alcoholism, my affair, my addiction to painkillers. My gambling, my lying, that's what produced this. You know, you wonder, or at least I do, um, what David was feeling and wrestling with right about this moment of his life. It's hard to say. We weren't there. But I think a fairly good educated guess is guilt, shame, regret. Humiliation, fear, or some combination of all that. It's hard to know which one of those is is dominating David right now. Was he more afraid than he was guilty or guilty than afraid? Who who knows? But I do want to show you something in the psalm, guys, that that absolutely sends a chill down my soul, uh, down my spine. Take a look at it. It's in verse 2. Something that he says in verse 2 that is just... That is just... It's just the bottom of the barrel. Um, he says, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. They're, they're saying that because of his sin with Bathsheba, 
David has forfeited his uh, relationship with God. God's finished with him. He's done. David crossed the line with this with this sin with Bathsheba and then killing her husband. David's crossed the line and 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 consequently God has said, "I'm done with you, buddy. I'm throwing you under the bus." Now, now remember, who is it that's saying this about him? Many are saying that there's no salvation in God for my soul. Who is it that's saying that? Well, it's not the Egyptians. It's not the Assyrians. It's being said by people who maybe three days earlier would have been considered friends or, or acquaintances or maybe employees at, 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 at worst. But these people, people he knew and people who knew him are saying there's no salvation for him. He went too far. His sin is too bad. He's done for. <laughs> I don't know whether this is funny, but it made me think of that nationwide insurance commercial about life comes at you fast. You know, MC Hammer out there with all the girls in the big, and then he's doing his thing, and then all of a sudden, there he sits on the curb. It's It's over. And David, David does not make one attempt to justify himself or to deny it. He, he, he knows that God is after him. Man is after him. And he deserves it. I did this. And you know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe God is finished with me. Maybe he is throwing me under the bus. Guys, there's nothing worse. If you take this book seriously, if you take a walk with Jesus Christ seriously, there's nothing worse than the despair of thinking that God doesn't care for me. If you believe this, and then to have people who, who you know and trust, and people who are friends and supporters, and 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 I don't know neighbors saying, <laughs> he's done for. It's 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 the mother of all fears. Particularly, again, if you if you take this stuff seriously, it is an attack at the deepest level of my being. And, 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 and it's a fear that kind of paralyzes me because I, 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 I'm, I'm unraveling at the very center of my being. Ernest Becker, a name that might be familiar to some of you, Ernest Becker talks about, I love this, this phrase, he talks about a, a subterranean rumble of panic. Is that not good? A subterranean rumble of panic. My, my, my things are bad for me. And I deserve this. But now they're saying, there is no salvation for him. And I am all too aware 
that what is being said about me is in some ways might be true. And even worse, my enemies don't know the half of what I've done. Oh, they might know about that, but they don't know about the other and the other and the other. This is pretty bleak. The psalm really takes a turn and verse 3 opens up with the conjunction but. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to love to talk about conjunctions and how they're hope in conjunctions because when he says but, you, you know that you're turning a corner. You're turning a corner into a solution, into a, some kind of flicker or some kind of ray of hope. And, and he really mentions it in verse 3. But before you look at verse 3, look at with me at verse 4. Because he says, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me. The point is, you, you get an idea at least what David's been doing in the midst of, of, his, of his crisis. He's crying out to God and he, and he senses that God has answered him. And God has, 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 has told him certain things. What is it that he told you, David? What is it that you've discovered in this time where you're wrestling with God? What is it that you know now? He tells you in verse 3. He says, You, O Lord, you are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. There are two things there that I want you to see, and one of them we can deal with rather rapidly. He says, first of all, Lord, you are a shield. And then he says, you are my glory and the lifter of my head. First of all, this, this idea of a shield. Guys, in, in ancient Israel, there were two kinds of shields. There was, a, there was one that was uh, the side, well, it, was, it was shaped like a frisbee, but it was much bigger. And you, you put it on this uh, arm or hand and, and you parried off the blows of the enemy as you tried to strike him with your sword. Like, and you fought like that. Well, that was one kind of shield. There was another kind of shield that was the size of a door. And so you would crouch in behind the door and you would inch your way closer to the enemy fortress while he was shooting things at you. And this door, this shield, protected you from, from oncoming flying objects. Well, this shield here is that second variety. And, and David has discovered in the midst of his wrestling with God that there is a, at one level he is safe. As, as far as my security is concerned, and, and con, concerning Absalom and his armies, I'm going to be fine, whatever that means. It may mean that, that I lose this battle, but I, I'm, I'm safe. There is a security for me in the Lord. But what about this other level? This subterranean rumble of panic. What about that? Okay, yes, my my prayer life has has addressed this issue of what Absalom's going to do with me. But what are you going to do with me, God? What about the subterranean rumble of panic? And he addresses that. He addresses that in this other image. You are my glory and the lifter of my head. You need to hear this, ladies and gentlemen. Don't, don't miss this part. What does he mean by this? This lifter of my head thing. Well, we're not really left to wonder. The Bible tells us. You want to see it? If you can keep your finger in Psalm 3, turn over and see if you can find Genesis 40 real quick. Because Genesis 40 is going to tell you what we mean, what he means when he says lifter of my head. Now, guys, 
Genesis 40 is the story of, of um, Joseph. Remember, Joseph is the favored son of Jacob. He's the one that had the coat of many colors. His brothers hated him, sold him into slavery. He goes down to Egypt. He is bought by Potiphar. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. He, uh, As a result of that, he's thrown into jail. While he's in jail, Pharaoh, the king, puts sends two guys down into prison with him. His baker and his chief cupbearer. And while they're in prison with Joseph, they have a dream. That is, the baker and the chief cupbearer have a dream. Joseph interprets these dreams. And in that interpretation, in verse 13, we find these words. Um, Verse 12, then Joseph said to, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. Verse 13, in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to office. Do you see it, guys? David uses that image. It's a piece of jargon. It's a piece of, it's a colloquialism. He is the lifter of my head. When a man's head is drooped, when a, when a man drops his head, it's because he's in a situation of depression or rejection. He's down. You know, the, the, the best illustration, and I know I'm, a, I'm dating myself, uh, because some of you my age will remember this. Um, it was sung by the Kingston Trio. And um, it went like this. In fact, this was the big hit that made them, a, made them, a, a, made them stars. It, go, it went like this. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley. Hang down your head and cry. I'm not finished. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley. Poor boy, you're bound to die. Yeah. If you're bound to die, you need to hang down your head. Your head drops. When you are facing the the gallows. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, that same imagery is used in the world of athletics. If you're on the, if you're on a football team and you're getting thumped by your opponent, the coaches race up and down the sidelines saying, get your heads up, get your heads up. Stop drooping your heads. Lift your heads up. And what David says in Psalm three is that what Pharaoh did for the chief cupbearer, God has done that for me. It's a bad situation I'm in. Yep, yes, no question about it. But in the midst of this horrible time in my life, I have been reminded that the Lord is my glory and the lifter of my head. He's the one that restores me to prominence. He's the one that establishes my work. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, prior to this moment, David had obviously forgotten that. Why? I mean, here's a man who's a king. He's rich. He's successful. Got lots of women. And he's a father. He's a husband. But in Psalm 3... All of that has been stripped from him. He used to find his glory and the lifter of his head to be the fact in the fact that he was the king. But he wasn't the king anymore. Nobody could say about David anymore. Oh, you know, uh, David, he's a he's a good man. He's a good man. <laughs> Do you not know what he did? 
Where have you been? I mean, he just had an affair with Bathsheba and had her husband killed. Well, our king, he's a, he's a good father. A good father? His son is chasing him in the wilderness right now. What do you mean he's a good father? All that stuff, ladies and gentlemen, on which David had established his worth, established his identity, established his purpose in life, it's gone! The thing that David counted on to establish him as a valuable individual has now been taken from him. He had sought to establish his worth by by being a, a good performer, a good king and a good daddy, good employee, good money maker. But now all that lie in shambles. And the source of his confidence and his pride is gone. The things that gave him a sense of control, his job, that had been taken from him. You know, guys, if your sense of worth is, say, my... my, my, my sense of value is, is, is in the fact that I, that I started a company, and it's a successful company. What are you going to do when that company goes belly up? Ladies and gentlemen, I had a man say to me this week, I wish I were dead. He said it twice. You know why he said that? His company is going belly up. If you seek to establish your sense of worth in the fact that you're a that you're a mother, what are you going to do when one of your kids turns out to be hooked on some kind of drug? Who are you then? Where's your sense of worth now? If you attach your sense, your, your, your whole identity to the fact that you're a hotshot athlete, what's going to happen when you blow out your knee? What's going to be your purpose in life then? When, when all that stuff that you've used to form your own sense of worth has been stripped from you like it was David... Who are you now? What is, your, what is your definitional center? Where is your identity now? Where is your worth now? I just wish I were dead. That's what people say, ladies and gentlemen. When they have built, they have constructed a life on all the wrong bases. And those things get torn away. Guys, listen to me. Before we move to verse 4, which is really the apex of the psalm, before we get to that, you need to hear this. Your pain, whatever that pain is, will take you to your idols if you will follow them there. 
in the, in the midst of your crumbling situation, God is putting his finger on your idols. He's putting his finger on your wrongful identities. Guys, I'm not enjoying this present economic crisis that we're in either. You know, I've got a 401k too. But I have wondered. I wonder what God is up to. Is this present economic situation in which we find our country, is it a stroke of judgment? Or is it a stroke of his mercy? That he painfully rips us away from things, wrongful things, on which we have have sought to build our worth. To verse 4, he says, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Now what's that all about? David got answers from the holy hill. What's what's on the holy hill? Well, first of all, guys, Jerusalem was built on a hill. Uh, in, 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 in Bible language, if you go to Jerusalem, you're always going up to Jerusalem. Even if you're coming from the north, you're always going up to Jerusalem because it's on a hill. And, and at the top of that hill is a place called the Temple Mount. And at the Temple Mount, there's the temple. And you know what takes place at the temple? Sacrifices. Sacrifices for sin. Gang, David writes himself. That is, he comes to his senses by reviewing what's going on on the holy hill. He, He returns to what God has told him about how sin will be dealt with. How will sin be dealt with? Oh, it's going to be dealt with not through good and bad performance. It's going to be dealt with through sacrifice. Through the sacrifice of things like "Mm, maybe a lamb. David hears coming from the holy hill something like this. David, David, I don't love you based on your performance. Because very honestly, David, your performance stinks. I don't love you, David, based on what you've done. I love you, David, based on what I've done for you. And with that, David rediscovers his glory. He rediscovers his significance and his and his security is, is Yahweh. And then, in, in what I think is perhaps the most incredible part of this whole psalm, he says in verse 5, I lay down and slept. That's not a boast of some achievement of his. He, he credits the Lord for having a good night's sleep. And, and let me remind you, he's not in his own bed out in, in the palace sleeping. No, he's, he's out in the wilderness being hunted down like a dog with enemies all around him. And he sleeps. Where does peace like that come from? I'll tell you where. It comes from knowing that the Lord is my shield and my glory and the lifter of my head. 
David gets his bearings. He, there's a restored equilibrium to his soul by remembering that though what he had done with Bathsheba was inexcusable, and if God is going to save us based on our performance, my enemies are probably right. There probably is no salvation for me in God. But one look at the holy hill, and God shows him how sin is going to be dealt with. And then he remembers salvation belongs to the Lord. That's verse 8. Guys, do you see what he you see what happens in this psalm? He's in a terrible mess. He is wrestling around with all kinds of issues. He chases after God. He restores his sense of balance by remembering that his his worth is not in in his job or in his portfolio. And then he He hears of how God is going to deal with sin and he rests at night. And then he remembers and is confident that salvation, salvation belongs to the Lord. And then centuries later, on that same holy hill, God provides in Christ... A sacrifice for sin that would do for David what David couldn't do for himself. That's where the peace comes from, ladies and gentlemen. It comes from having a conscience that has the blood of Jesus Christ sprinkled on it. Guys, I don't dare pretend to know where this present economic crisis that we're in is going to go. I know that we're promised a bailout tomorrow. I guess that will save the markets. I guess. And I'm not trying to be flip, because this is huge, ladies and gentlemen. Warren Buffett called it the, the economic Pearl Harbor. But we as God's people, in the midst of our crisis, have got to come to the place where David came, that we rediscover that he is my shield, my glory, and the lifter of my head. And there is no economic crisis anywhere that can take that from me. Tonight, when you're flopping around in the bed and your stomach's churning and you're all concerned about what the markets are going to do tomorrow, you need to say this to your soul. You say, soul, the Lord is my shield. He is my glory and the lifter of my head.
Father, I pray that you will um, convince your people all over again because we need convincing that our worth is found in our being related to you by faith and that our future is safe not because we're smart and savvy and we've bought some gold and we're, we're well protected but that our glory and the lifter of our head is not a thing it is a person and I pray we might face whatever it is that our country is facing our church is facing and we as individuals are facing knowing that the one who lifts our head is not the chairman of the treasury the one who lifts our head is the one who bowed his and died in our place that our sin is forgiven our future is sure because God is our glory and the lifter of our heads we pray of course in Jesus name Amen